Well, thank you, Pastor Paul. Yes, I have my jacket on. I want to look good, you know, for all of you today. Um, you know, I, I just got, I got to thank God for AC. I don't know. I don't know about all of you, but I just, I just praise God. AC is one of the greatest inventions in the world. Whoever created that, that's, that's amazing. That guy was a genius. You know, we had, my wife and I, we had some cold weather last week a little bit. It was cooling off a little bit, so we had ordered a Christmas tree, and we started putting it up in our, in our living room last week. You know, started setting it up, getting it ready. We're believing for the colder weather, you know, and then we get today, you know, and then so. But praise God, AC, we can be indoors, you can stay cool, don't have to, don't have to melt outside, so thank God. Well, it's so good to see you all here this morning. I'm glad you all came out, that you're out, uh, you know, for the church service. It's great. Um, I just want to encourage you, if, if uh, you know, you haven't heard the past messages on the book of Romans that, that have been shared so far, or, uh, you know, if, you, uh, if you've missed a few Sundays, you know, go to the Willowdale TV uh, website and, and look up the sermons and watch them. You know, go and read the book of Romans through, because really, if, you know, if you're just hearing this, this message, you're kind of just getting a part of, part of the message. You're not getting it in its context, and it's kind of like joining in a conversation partway through. And you don't really know what was said before or what's being said after. So you're not really getting the full picture, right? So, so it's really important that, that you want to get it in its context and understand it in its entirety. So I really encourage you to do that if you haven't. If you haven't already read the book of Romans or if you, haven't, if you missed some of the messages, to go back and rewatch it and, and just kind of get it all in its context and get a refresher that way. <clears throat> um, so as we begin, you know, in, in the end of chapter 10, Paul Paul was talking about how the Israelites had rejected Jesus and, uh, you know, and because of that, salvation had come to the Gentiles. And then in verse, verses 1 to 5 of Romans 11, he says, But God has not yet forsaken the Gentiles. Even though they rejected him, the Israelite nation as a whole had rejected Jesus as the Messiah, you know, God had not forsaken, the, the, uh, God had not forsaken Israel, sorry, God had not forsaken Israel, um, and he's still, through his grace, he's still bringing salvation. He's working on bringing salvation to the Israelite people. So uh, he's saying it's not, it's not too late for them. You know, God still loves them and he hasn't forsaken them. And he's still, he's still working in their hearts to bring them to salvation. But it's through the grace of God, he says. And then in verse 6, I want to look at verse 6 here, Romans eleven six. 6. It says, and if it's by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is not grace. But if it is of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. That is so confusing, is it not? <laughs> we look at that, I look at that, and I'm kind of like, huh? What? Reminds me of, of uh, when I was in school in math class, and the teacher would start talking about, you know, if A equals to B and C equals to D, does that mean that A is then now equal to F? And you're kind of like, what? How, how do you get, where, what is that squiggly thing on the board? Where, you know, did I miss a chapter? Am I in the right class here? You know, it's, it's, just, it's just confusing, right? So if we try to break it down a little bit, I want to um, try to simplify that a little bit for everyone. Um, you know, in Romans, or in Ephesians 2, sorry, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, it says that the, that the grace of God is a gift. That grace is a gift from God. So if I, if I put the word gift in there instead of grace, we could kind of read it like this. If it's a gift, then you didn't earn it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a gift. But if you've earned it, then it's not a gift. Otherwise, you wouldn't have earned it. 
Does that help anybody? Is that maybe a little bit more clear? Some people, yes, no, a little bit? All right, like, let me give you an example. Let me see if I can give you an example. If it's Christmas or if it's your birthday and someone comes up to you and says, you know, uh, Merry Christmas or Happy Birthday, and they give, you, they give you a gift, did you earn that gift? No, right? It's just because they have a relationship with you. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a coworker, a colleague. But, you know, they have some kind of relationship with you. And so they come up to you and say, here, here's a gift. And they're giving it to you simply because they care about you, simply because they love you. It's not because you in some way earned it. They just want to bless you, right? Now, if, let's say that year... You know, parents always tell their kids, you know, if you're not good, Santa Claus isn't going to bring you any presents this year, right? But if you, let's just, let's just say you lived, a, you know, you had a good year and you didn't really make any mistakes and you, and you did everything right, that gift that this, that this friend or loved one gives you, will they give you a bigger gift or a, or a bigger present just because you had a good year? No, right? It's not about how kind of year you had. And if you, if you made a bunch of mistakes and you, and, and you did things wrong, will they give you a smaller gift? No. It's nothing to do with your performance, nothing to do with, with how you lived that year. It's simply a gift because they love you, they care about you. It's from their heart and has nothing to do with you apart from the fact that they know you, right? But now, let's say it's the end of the month and your boss comes to you and says, you know, gives you your paycheck, is that a gift? No, 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 no. That is, that by no means is a gift. You know, I earned that paycheck, I'm telling you. I work hard for that paycheck, that's mine. That belongs to me, you hand that over, right? That's not a gift, that's not a gift from the boss. What are you talking about, right? We earned that paycheck. Now, let me ask you, if your boss doesn't like you, will that paycheck be smaller? No. Does your, if your boss loves you, if you're his favorite, will it be bigger? No. Why? Because nothing to do with the relationship you have with your boss. It's simply based on your performance. Now, if you miss a few days of work, your paycheck will be smaller, right? Get, get less pay. If you put in a few extra hours and you work some overtime, You'll get a bigger paycheck. You'll, you know, you, you, you get more money. See, you can earn it. Your actions will affect directly what you earn in that sense. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that a, that a gift and you earning something are two totally different things. They're not compatible. They don't combine. So grace and works he's talking about are separate. You can't take grace and add works to it Otherwise, it's not grace anymore. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. Once you start adding your performance, it's no longer grace, he's saying. And you can't take works and just add the grace of God on top of that. He says, then it's not works. If it's the grace of God, then you don't earn it. So he's trying to show the people that it's a separation. Either it's grace or it's works, but it's not both. And he's saying that, that we receive salvation as from the grace of God, that we don't earn it. That's what he's trying to bring across to the people here in Rome. And it's the same message for us today. So often we, we will maybe accept the love of God, we accept the grace of God, and we get born again, 
but then we feel like now that I am born again, now I have to live right, I have to be holy, I have to do all the right things. Otherwise, somehow, you know, God's going to pull back the salvation from me. God's going to take it away from me. Well, if it was by the grace of God in the first place, if it was a gift from God in the first place, and we didn't earn it, why would he now, if I mess up, take it away? I didn't earn it in the first place. How can I, how can I work to keep it? I can't. I only keep it by the grace of God. It was a gift in the beginning. It's a gift the whole way through. We can't, we can't continue to add works to the grace of God. So we have, the same, we have that same problem today where we, where we try to mix these two things, grace and works, but we can't. And that's what Paul's trying to emphasize. We need to separate them and understand it is the grace of God and the grace of God alone that, has, that we have, can be saved by. In verses 7 through 12, Paul talks about um, how it was Israel's rejection of Jesus that brought salvation to the Gentiles. And then in verses 13 to 24, he talks about how it wasn't that the Gentiles were worthy, that they earned the salvation, but that that it was because of the Gentiles and and what they had, or the the, the Israelites, and what they had done. The Gentiles didn't earn it in themselves. So he kind of like emphasizes the point. But in there, he has two, there's two verses that I want to look at a little bit, which I thought were so amazing. Verses, uh, Romans 11, verse 12. <clears throat> Romans 11:12. That's embarrassing. Put the lid down beside it. Romans 11:12. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles... How much more their fullness? This is it's referring to the Israelites. If the fall of the Israelites or the diminishing of the Israelites be the riches of the Gentiles, how much more would the fullness be? Uh, verse 15. For if the casting away of them, again referring to the Israelites, uh, be the reconciling of the world, what shall be the receiving of them be but life from the dead? See, Paul is talking about a day when the Israelite nation as a whole will receive Jesus as their Messiah, as their Lord. He's talking about how it, because of their, you know, when they rejected him, that's what opened salvation to the, to the world. But he's talking about there will come a day when the Israelites will, will receive him. And how amazing won't that be if, if their mistake, if their, their rejection of Jesus is what brought salvation to the whole world, if, if that mistake or that mess up or that rejection brought salvation, what, would it, what will it look like when they receive Jesus? How amazing would that be? He's comparing it to the same, someone being raised from the dead. Just absolutely amazing, amazing thing. Let me try to give you an example. Um, if you, if you entered a contest and there were 100 people in this contest, so you're one of the 100 and you're in this contest, and you got last place, you placed dead last in this contest, what would you expect to get? Nothing, right? Maybe like a participation badge or a participation ribbon. I don't know. I don't know. When, I was in, when I was in school, we had like track and field day and some of these sports events and and, you know, they'd make us do them. I didn't want to, but they'd make us participate. And afterwards, they'd always come and they'd give me these participation ribbons, right? 
thank you for participating, right? So embarrassing. Why do they give you these things? You know, I never liked it. I just always took them and crumpled it up and threw it in the garbage. You know, I'm like, who wants, I don't want to go home with, look what I got, a participation ribbon. You know, so maybe you kind of get like a participation ribbon. Thank you for coming out, right? That's, that's what we would expect to get, right? For if we placed a hundredth in this contest, get nothing, right? But what if, what if you get a hundred to you did the absolute worst that everybody there, you get, you get hundredth place and they come up to you and they give you a million dollar check. You'd be like, woohoo, wow, like a million dollars. Praise God, this is awesome. You'd be so excited, right? It'd be so amazing. But then for me, I don't know, even this not satisfied, but, you know, for me, I'd be like, I wonder, I wonder what first place would have been. What would I have gotten if I had got first place, you know? If, if, if a hundredth place was a million dollars, maybe first place would be like a trillion, or maybe I'd own an island, or maybe, you know, I don't know, it'd be something so, wow, like how awesome wouldn't that have been to have been first, right? That's what Paul's trying to say here. If, this, if the mistake of the Israelites been rejecting Jesus is what, open salvation to the world, how amazing won't it be when they as a whole, as a nation, come to accept him as the Messiah? Because he goes on in verses 25 to 28 and he says, God is still working in the Israelites' heart to bring them to salvation. You know, he started off in verses 1 to 5 saying he hasn't forsaken them. He has not yet forsaken Israel. He's still working in their hearts to bring salvation, bring Jesus to the Israelites. They're still his people. Verse 29, uh, Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, please. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Re- repentance. So many people think repentance means to confess your sins. But if you put that meaning in this, in this verse, for the gifts and calling of God are without confession of sins, that doesn't really make sense. Repentance just means to change your mind. That's all. Repentance just means to start thinking, stop thinking the way you were, and start thinking according to what the Bible says, according to how God thinks. That's repentance, changing your mind. So what it's saying here is the gifts and calling of God are without the changing of mind, without God changing his mind. Or in other words, God has not changed his mind about the gifts and callings that he has put on the Israelite nation. He has not changed his mind about the promises and the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He hasn't changed his mind about that. He hasn't, he hasn't changed. It's still the same promise, the same, the same covenant they had back then. He still has that with them, and he still wants to see that fulfilled. You know, uh, verse 24, he, Paul was talking about how we were wild olives, and we were grafted into a good olive tree. Basically saying, you know, we as as Gentiles, we're adopted through Jesus into the body of Christ. We're now children of God because of Jesus. We're adopted into the body. And so because of that, the gifts that God has given us, the calling on our life, the plans that he has for us, he has not changed his mind about that. He has not changed his mind about those things. The purpose that he created you for. Because God did create you for a purpose. It doesn't matter what someone else might say or what you might think or what your parents say, you know, you, we're not an accident, we're not a mistake, we're not just a fluke caused by evolution. God created us for a purpose. Every one of us have a purpose and that purpose, he has not changed his mind about that purpose in our life. And we might think, well, you know, I'm 100 years old and it's just too late for me now. No, God hasn't changed his mind about it. 
That same purpose on your life, he still has today. Ah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know the life that I've lived. I've made so many mistakes. I've hurt so many people. I've, I've just messed up so badly. doesn't matter. God has not changed his mind about that call, that purpose, that those gifts he's put in you, the anointing. He hasn't changed his mind about it. He has not changed his mind. The same, it's the same as before we were born. That same purpose, that same calling is the same one on our life right now and he has not changed his mind. He has not repented of it. Paul goes on to say that in the rest of uh, chapter 11 that, you know, God was so amazing. He, we, everyone at some point, everyone in the past, the Gentiles, the Israelites, um, you know, us today, at some point we reject Jesus and, and God knew this and he foresaw this and God had every right. God could have just wiped out the whole human race he could have destroyed the whole universe with a word. He said, let there be light, and light created light with a word. He could have said, let light be no more, and light would have gone. He could have created, you know, destroyed it all with a word and just started again. He had that right. He was, would have been just to do that. And yet, by the mercy and the grace of God, it says in verse 32, that he, that he wanted to have mercy on them also. He brought the same gift of salvation to everyone. It was his grace, it was his mercy that he opened up salvation to everyone and everyone can receive salvation through the same, the exact same thing. It's no different that it, for me as it is for anyone else, Pastor Paul or anyone else, we all receive salvation the same way. And Paul's saying, isn't that so amazing that rather than just killing us all and just destroying the universe and making a new one, he could, you know, what he could have done, he decided to have mercy on us and give us salvation and bring that to us. That's awesome. God is so good. And so he praises God in verses 33. He's praising God for just how wonderful, how merciful, merciful, how awesome he is. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, please. Again, remember, this is a, this is a continual thought. Paul did not put Romans 12 in there. It was a continual letter that he was writing to the Romans it wasn't, it's not like a storybook that you buy in the store and, and you know, when, when the author writes, writes a chapter and at the end of the chapter he kind of leaves a cliffhanger so that you're like, oh, what's going to happen? I have to, you know, I have to, I have to read the next chapter or when you watch a TV show and, and it's a season finale, you're like, oh, what's, what's going on? You know, you want to see what happens next? You know, oh, man. Oh, who watched Infinity War? Avengers Infinity War. Was that not like the most painful like year of your life just waiting for Endgame? Oh, trying so hard not to watch every YouTube person's, you know, opinion on what's going to happen in Endgame. And because you know that it can't end with Thanos having snapped his fingers and won. You know, it's that cliffhanger moment, right? That's what an author does when they're writing a story or whatever. Paul wasn't doing that. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul wrote one continual letter. And we added the chapter in verse later. So when we go on to chapter 12 here, it's still the same thought. He's still saying, he's still Ends off chapter 11 saying, God is so awesome, God is so wonderful, God is so merciful. And then he goes on in verse 12, verse, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants us to, in our life have manifested his will for us, have manifested to make it real, to make it a reality in our life. What his perfect, his good, acceptable and perfect will is for us. But so often, you know, we, we don't even know what that is. We don't even know what is God's will for my life. What does God want for me? We don't even know. We don't even know what that is. But, you know, uh, 3 John 1 verse 2 tells us, and, and, and last week, if, if um, you didn't see last week's message, Pastor Paul did an awesome job explaining uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and 3 John 1 here last week. So go back, watch that message. It was so good. Um, but I'm going to kind of just share in a few points because, you know, it's really just worth hearing again. So I'm just going to share a few points on it, but really go back, watch that again. But 3 John 1 verse 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospered. That's God's will. He says, more than anything, this is what I want for you. I want you to be prosperous in every way, and that includes finances. I want you to be healthy in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your, in your soul. I want you to be happy and joyful. God has such good intent. That's what he wants for every single person. And it's amazing how often we reject what God wants for us. So often, even, even people, you know, we can, we can believe that, okay, God wants me, you know, born again. He loves me, and, and we're going to go to heaven, okay. Uh, I, can, I can accept that. Maybe he wants me healed, okay, you know, I'll accept that. But then we reject, we reject, no, but he, but he doesn't want me prosperous. He doesn't want me financially blessed. No, 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 that's not true. He wants me to be poor. He wants me, you know, to, to struggle in life. You know, and we, and we tell ourselves, this is how God, how God, you know, tests us and whatever. But that's not what God says. That's not what the Bible tells us. We read the Bible and we see in Genesis when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden, it starts off with them in this paradise with just gold on the ground. They can just bend down and pick up and have gold to make jewelry, whatever, out of. That's how it starts off. With just gold and diamonds and jewels right there for us to pick up. And then in Revelation, at the end, it talks about how after we go on to be with the Lord, we're going to live in a mansion. Up in paradise, have a mansion, streets paved with gold. You know, the gates are giant pearls. Just abundance beyond anything we can imagine, just wealth beyond anything we can imagine here on earth. And yet somehow we think that God doesn't want us prosperous. We read throughout the Bible, there's so many examples where God blessed people financially. They were so financially blessed. And yet somehow we think, no, 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 not me, not us. You know? Why? Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 14, that's God's will for our life. All the blessings that he's listed there. This is what God wants for us. This is his will for our life. This is what he intended for us to have. But then we say, well, okay, well, if that's the case, why am I seeing it? Why is it not real in my life? Why am I struggling with, with a physical sickness? Or why am I struggling financially? Or why am I not seeing this, this awesome will of God? You say, it's so great. Why am I not seeing it in my life? Well, Romans, Romans 12 verse 2 says. It says, if we can go back to Romans 12 verse 2. Be not conformed to this world 
when, it's, when it says of the world, it's talking about the non-believers. Don't be conformed. Don't be like the non-believers. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's how you will prove or make manifest in your life that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You see, if we think the same way a non-believer thinks, and we believe the same things a non-believer believes, and we do the same things they do, and we act the same way they act, why are we surprised if we get the exact same results that they get? A non-believer wants to be healed. They don't want to be sick. That's why, they, you know, that's why everyone goes to doctors and takes medication. We want to be healthy. Everyone wants to be healthy. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer. Everybody wants to be healthy. But if you don't believe in the healing power of God, if you don't believe that Jesus, by his stripes, we are healed, and you don't believe that God wants you healed, then how are we any different than a non-believer? And why would, why would we expect that, that we will receive that power, we will receive that healing if we're, if we're believing the same thing? Or, uh, for example, if, if we're going to go, um, you know, if we want a, 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 going for a job interview, we want to get a new job, what, is, what does a non-believer do? They prepare their resume, they prepare the CV, right? They make it look all good, try to, try to like boast about all their strengths and qualities and how good they are, and they kind of hide away all the faults, right? But, you know, just all how good they are and how, how good everything is. And, and they go in there and they talk about how hard of a worker they are, and look what I've done here, and look what I've done there, and this is my work history. And they, try to, they just boast about all those kinds of things. That's what a non-believer does, right? How often don't we go into a job interview or go with the exact same attitude just with our resume, with our qualifications and just and trying to compete with them at the same level. When the, when the scripture says that we have the favor of God on our life, we have favor with God, we have favor with man, he's blessed everything he put our hands on to, we have, a, we have an anointing, a blessing, a favor that they don't have and yet we don't go to God in prayer for the job, we don't, we don't seek him. We don't declare that favor with, over that situation. We just, we just go in there the exact same way as anybody else. And then we wonder, why didn't I get the job, God? Why didn't I get it? Well, did you ask him? Did you go to him in the first place? Did you seek him in the first place? You know, why are we acting the same way and expecting to get different results? Philippians 4.19 says that God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. According to whose riches? His riches. So why, when the news talks about what Donald Trump is doing in the U.S., are we worried? You know, I was... Um, uh, you know, I've, I've heard many people talk about these, these uh, multi-level marketing things, and so many of them, they talk about, oh, we're breaking into China. You know, we're, we're, China's now becoming open to these multi-level marketing things, and, and man, once we're going to break, and that's over a billion people that we're going to get ready to buy this product, and man, if you're, if you're going to sign up now, and you're going to get in now, now you're going to, you know, you're going to be at the, at the start of this, you know, huge explosion, and you're going to become so rich, and, you know, they're, they're basing it off what happens in China, or we look at what's, you know, the, the unrest in the Middle East. There's unrest in the Middle East, and somehow we think this is gonna, now going to affect my life. This is going to affect how, what's going to happen to me if, if I'm going to lose my job or whatever. Well, God didn't say he's going to provide all your needs according to the Canadian economy. 
if we're in a recession or, or things happen, oh, you know, then God can't provide for you. I'm sorry. You're going to struggle for a bit until things pick up again. No, God didn't say that. He said he's going to provide for you according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. And you know, his riches aren't diminishing. His riches are not diminishing. I was just talking to, uh, after the first service to, uh, to a woman, and she was exp- showing me, uh, explaining a dream that she had. Uh, God had shown her about, you know, her being in a river, and, and there's this continual river, and there's this abundance and abundance and abundance. She heard abundance. God's wealth, his riches are like that river, a never-ending river that just continues, and you can never suck dry. There's always more. It doesn't matter how long you try to pull out a bucket, you know, keep pulling out of that river, that river's going to keep flowing. You can never exhaust that river. You can never exhaust God's riches. But yet, we don't believe that. We think that somehow our, how we live here is going to be tied to what's happening in the, in the Canadian economy, the U.S. economy, China, the Middle East. So why do we expect when there's a recession that we, why would we, why would we be surprised if we lose our job like anybody else? If you're basing, you're basing your provision on what's happening in the, in the economy around you and not what, what God says. That's why we need to renew our minds. Start thinking the way that God thinks. Start believing what the Bible says. Start understanding things from a spiritual perspective, how God created the universe. I'm just going to mention real quickly right now, you know, the Willowdale we, uh, offers a fresh start class. It's 10 weeks long. Uh, it's an amazing program that can really help anybody. doesn't matter if you're a new believer or you've been a believer for 50 years to renew their mind, to start thinking according to Scripture, start believing as scripture, what Scripture says. And just, it's just an awesome way to, to learn and to grow and to start renewing that mind. I'm one of the teachers in the class. I've gone through it a few times now. I know what it teaches. It's amazing. I really encourage you, if you want to see and prove God's good, acceptable, and perfect will in your life, that's a great, a great way to start. It's a great way to, to get a boost in the right direction. So, you know, if you're interested, sign up in the lobby at the small groups table. You can talk to Pastor Marlies, talk to myself. You know, it's, it's going to start in September. More details will come. But, uh, you know, it's just a great, great way. So, but we need to renew our minds to that. We need to, we need to start thinking of how God thinks. And that's how we're going to get God results and not get the results of the world. So Paul goes on then to say, um, after he talks about this good and acceptable and perfect will that God has for us, he goes on to talk about how, in verses 3 to 8, we all are different. And even though we're all part of the same body of Christ, we're all, he, he compares it to a, hu- a person and the different parts of a body that we have. And he says, you know, we're all meant for different things. We all have a different calling, a different purpose on our life. And not to compare ourselves to one another and try to say, well, I have to be like this person, or I have to be like that person. You know, as, as amazing and awesome as Pastor Paul is, i got to throw that in there, but as awesome as he is, you know, I can't, I can't mimic him. I can't be him. I, you know, I can't, I can't try to dress the way he dresses. I can't, you know, follow his workout routine and, and, you know, eat what he eats and just live his life because he has a call on his life that's different than mine. So I can't, I can't fulfill my call on my life by being Pastor Paul. I need to be me. I need to be Peter Becker. I need to be what God's called me to be. I need to follow his leading and his guiding in my life. 
And that's how I will see it manifest. And, you know, sometimes we want to, we think, well, you know, but I'm not, I'm not called to be a pastor. That's okay. That's okay. Most people aren't. Have you ever noticed, you know, you have some, there's some churches around the world, you have one person on stage preaching and you have 10,000 or more in the congregation. Most people aren't called to be pastors. That's okay. Same with evangelists or same with missionaries. You know, most people aren't actually called to be those kind of things and go to third world countries and preach. That's not what most people's calling is. But, you know, we, I talked to Pastor Paul a while back and, and he shared with me that there's over... 100 volunteers that help out in this church. It takes over 100 people to make a message happen on a Sunday morning. And so often we don't think about it, but what would happen if we don't have, you know, the, the sound guy in that day? And now we, and when we're trying to share and we hear this, and, and like, who can hear me like this? You know, right? No one can hear me, right? What if, what if we didn't have that? No one can hear you. We need the sound person, we need the projector, we need the cameras and the lights, we need all these people. It takes over 100 volunteers so that one person can be on stage preaching. So why do we feel like we all have to be the same? Why do we feel like we all have to be called to the same? We're not. God has a different purpose for all of us. And it's in following that purpose that he has for us specifically, following his leading and his guiding in our life, that is where we will find the greatest fulfillment. That is where we will find the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction in our life. And that is where we will make the greatest impact for God. So often, you know, our heart is right. We want to serve God. We want to see people born again. We want to get people, you know, into the kingdom. And our heart is right. We have that desire. But somehow we confuse that with, okay, that must mean I must be, a, I have to be a preacher then. And we, and we force ourselves to be a preacher, but then we hate it. Or we force ourselves to go, you know, sell everything and, and go be a missionary, but, we, but you hate it. Because God hasn't called you to that. But, you know, some, an, someone at a workplace just loving on their colleague, being a light in their darkness when they're going through a rough patch, when they're having you know, struggles in their life, it doesn't matter if it's at work or in their marriage or whatever it might be at home with the kids. Someone just being that light and just showing them love, showing them that they understand that they're there for them, that person makes a greater difference than, than any pastor. You know, this, the person might never turn on the TV and see a, see a message preached. They might never go into a church but all of us can be an influence to the person beside us. It doesn't matter where we are. Our neighbor, our colleagues. God needs people everywhere. So, so he's trying to say, don't, don't think you have to be... That's what, that's what Paul's trying to say here. He, he talks about the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, don't think that you have to be the exact same as the next person. You have a very specific purpose. You have a very specific calling. And... De depending on what that was, it'll be different than the next, it'll be different than everybody else. But God created you just for that reason. And so he's like, he's like follow that calling, follow that gifting, follow that leading. Because that's what he wants for you. That's, that's his purpose in your life. All right, I'm just going to close in a minute here. Worship team, you can come up if you're, if you're there. Paul ends Romans chapter 12 uh, in verses 9 to 21, you know, he talks about some very basic, everyday principles for the Christian life. For every Christian, every born-again believer, very basic things. 
verse 14 is an example. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. You know, I, I, a couple of years ago, I met a gentleman at work, and he, he was from the Middle East somewhere. I'm not, I can't remember where it was exactly, but he was from the Middle East somewhere. And uh, his family was Christian, and he would tell me stories about how his, his uncles and, and uh, family members were burnt alive because they were Christian. And then the ashes brought to the grandparents' house, those kind of things. And scripture says, bless them which persecute you, and bless and curse not. So simple, right? So simple. Or verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. So often someone does us wrong and we say, by God, they're going to get it back. I'm going to find a way. They're going to feel this. You know, they did this to me. They're going to feel my wrath now, right? We think about how we're just going to exact our revenge on them. We plan it all out in our mind. You know, we have this whole plan we're going to execute. But God says, recompense to no man evil for evil. Simple things, impossible for us to do. Impossible for us in our own strength, in our own ability to do these things. And yet they are 100% doable through the Holy Spirit. For a born-again believer, you have God living inside you, you have the Holy Spirit in you. We can do these things that Paul says, impossible. We can't do it on our own. In my, in my own strength, I can't do these things. I can't do that. People wrong me. I get mad. I want to I get vengeance. I want to I see them hurt for what they did to me. And if it was just me, you know, I would do something. If it was just me alone, without God, with the Holy Spirit, I would. I'd, I'd probably find some way to try to hurt them, get back at them. But through the Holy Spirit, through God living in me, I am able to do as, as Paul ends off here in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, and just be the love, be the example that Jesus called us to be, to show people love even when they hurt us, even when they do us wrong, and just let the light shine through us. your heads quickly we're just going to finish off many people believe that you need grace to be saved and then after that you got to have to put in your own work to stay saved and what peter is saying and was teaching the word of god that this morning is that no you have the grace of god to be saved and it's the grace of God that will bring you home. It's the grace of God that will keep you. It's the grace of God that is going to enable you. And for you to live a holy life, holy, many people thought, okay, I need to do this, that, and the other thing. No, you don't. You just need to surrender to God and effortlessly allow Him to work through your life. You say, how do I do that? Well, that's a difference between religion and spirituality. That the fresh start class that he's talking about it's just about that it's really teaching you how you can walk in the spirit without struggling and try to do things on your own